What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Uh, hello and welcome. This is your Zlatan ASMR podcast. This is your host, Gabe Ledgerett. And um, that was not a joke. This is the show now. This is how we do it. Um, I'm joined by Evan Matir, and we're going to read all of Zlatan Ibrahimovic's book on air right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're signed up for. We warned everybody. We told you it was coming. The only problem is, okay, so this is your Let's Fix Football. Uh, We're not doing the Zlatan ASMR podcast. Um, This is Gabe Lezer. I'm joined by uh, Evan Matir. We were uh, also currently joined uh, by our friend Shay Khatiri, who we will talk to in a second, who was probably extremely creeped out by that intro, but I did want to do it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because I had promised everyone this is your bonus show. Like this is uh, like bonus content. I wanted to bring that stuff up, though, because I found last night, Evan, that there is actually a dude who did that. So he read Zlatan's book, I Am Zlatan, in French uh, ASMR. So Yeah, this is really upsetting, actually, because I thought we were on to something, um, you know, a kind of a new direction for the podcast. And so I I don't like getting beaten to the punch. It's really annoying. Yeah, I mean, I think we should sue him. And that's what that's I think where we are. We're thinking about pursuing some legal right, action. He plagiarized us. He is the like, um, called Winkle- our idea before yeah. we did it. And that's not OK. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Here's what we really should do. He can be the Winklevoss twins and we can be the Zuckerberg. We are more <laughs> likely to be the Zuckerberg, Evan, because we're way more likely to be dragged in front of a, like a Senate committee at some point right. in our lives. Oh, my God. I can't wait until this podcast somehow gets us in front of a Senate subcommittee. That's going to be fun. I can't wait to, for the poor you know, congressional intern who has to transcribe every word of this show. That's going to enjoy that. <laughs> Uh, expletive, but, um, expletive, expletive, expletive. <laughs> uh, so obviously, like we're th- this show is bonus, but, and, and it's because we've been meaning to talk about it for a long time. The topic that we have, uh, which is uh, the Tehran Derby and um, some of the, the the different things that went down there. But I wanted to begin by, you know, first of all, bringing up that guy. I've, I'm going to splice in some of it. It is upsetting. <laughs> uh, we're not gonna do it now. It's gonna be at the. It's gonna be uh, at the very end of the show. Um, I'm gonna play some music so that you can, if you don't feel like listening to a guy mutter at you in French about Slatin, you can turn the show off. Um, but I'm gonna put it in. It, like I said, it's upsetting. Um, also, uh, I found out Evan that Zlatan <laughs> likes his own tweets occasionally, which um, power I mean, move. But why the hell wouldn't he though? <laughs> like that's exactly what Zlatan would do. Power like it's su- surprising no one that he would. I mean, why wouldn't it's a good tweet? He likes so why it. not like it? Why wouldn't he like it? <laughs> he wouldn't post it if it wasn't a good tweet because he's Latin, so he likes it. Oh man! And the uh, the so the Atlanta United fans last night after they beat LA Galaxy were were taunting them. Um, and one of their best ones was like, uh, uh, <laughs> hey, LA uh, uh, Galaxy, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, it was pretty good, but um, don't ever insult Zlatan again. That's what right. I'm saying. Like, don't, don't pretend like you are Zlatan or you could ever be Zlatan. You don't deserve to make Zlatan's jokes. Right, exactly. Do not, you know, do not come at Zlatan ever. You know, uh, there is a line in Quran that says, after God created uh, humans, he said, congratulations to the greatest of all creators. So, if anything, Zalatan is obviously God, so he can like his tweets. <laughs> God, that's a great fucking it's a great point. point. It's a good point. So good. Strong point. That's a good point. And that's a really good lead-in. Uh, that's uh, the voice of uh, Shay Khatiri. Shay uh, uh, is... A uh, twenty. So Shea is an Iranian who left Iran in 2011. He is pursuing a uh, MA at Johns Hopkins School of International Studies uh, and an MBA at Wharton. Simultaneously, he's part of what we uh, what he's described as the Union for Democracy Iran, uh, and he uh, has been blacklisted officially by the Iranian government. So 
We are <laughs> his. Um, by the way, his MA and MBA. That's uh, that's on Iran, Iranian politics, and and a strategy on on how to move forward against uh, uh, or in. In you know in the region and against Iran partially. So Shay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on, and thank you uh, for coming on to discuss this particular topic. Thanks for having me, guys. Did I do a good, okay job of describing um, what you're doing? Excellent job. Okay. Excellent awesome. job. Awesome. Uh, also, I want to point out that I was not creeped at all by that. Oh, that's good. Intro. I asked very intellectual. Political podcast and uh, by a friend of mine, and he once read Bigfoot erotica on it. So this is not weird <laughs> wow. at all. I'm glad that exists. I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah. That, that's good. It makes me happy that that exists. Um, so why don't um, Shay, if you'd like, uh, uh, if you'd like to give a little bit of background about what we're talking about here, that'd be cool. But ba- the I'll just quickly explain that the basic, you know, uh, uh, reason that we're we're discussing all this right now is that. Uh, the Tehran Derby, um, you know, is, is the biggest match in Iranian football. Um, Iran currently prohibits women from attending matches. Um, however, in the most recent Tehran Derby, Yanian uh, Infantino, the president of FIFA, who his Twitter handle is at Infantino, everyone should follow him. Um, uh, he went to. <laughs> he went. <laughs> he went. He was. He was at the. Uh, uh, he was at the Derby. And at the same time, uh, 35 women who had decided that they wanted to, to watch football dressed up as men and tried to enter the stadium. Um, so the, the government officially said that they were detained, um, but we have a lot of different things to, to, to mention with respect to that. Uh, and the response from FIFA was, at best, underwhelming. Um, so, Shay, wh- how do you – like? Let, let's just start off – why don't you give a little bit of context to what the Iranian government is thinking and prohibiting uh, uh, women from attending matches? Because as far as I, I, I understand, that's actually not the kind of custom across the Muslim world. So, uh, first of all, before I start, I encourage everybody to go and watch a movie called Offside. It's an Iranian movie from 10, 12 years ago. Out uh, a bunch of women in soccer, a football game, and being detained. So uh, the context is that it is not. So it is actually not the law of the land in Iran that women cannot attend uh, football games or sport games. It is just a practice that. Uh, the police does uh, without any legal background, and it has become law by practice and tradition, not by legal code, which is super weird. And it happened in, in 1979 after the Islamic Revolution in Iran, and it was the it was revolutionary times. Uh, the incoming regime was uh, Islamic and very orthodox. So uh, they tried to do something new. And uh, you're correct that it's not the practice across uh, the Middle East, except it was in Saudi Arabia until very recently that uh, Mohammed bin Salman has uh, reversed policy. But the difference is that. All across the Middle East, the regimes uh, are have been there for a while, and they are not revolutionary. They are in accordance to uh, what the public has been and the production of the uh, of centuries of uh, the public in those countries. Except in Iran, which the regime is revolutionary. So when they came into power, they began to reverse a lot of. of policies in existence. So that created an anomaly in the Middle East, uh, in Iran, and very weird policies. So imagine uh, Soviet Union, for example, which was a revolutionary regime and started practicing a lot of weird uh, non-customary policies uh, in, in Soviet Union, as well as any other revolutionary regime. Interesting. So uh, it's directly tied to um, the revolutionary government uh, that was formed. Um, 
That that's that's actually fascinating, and it's it's some some context also, right? I'd be interested in um, 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 what you have to how you would how you would like think about some of this stuff, which so, is the way like. And, no, go ahead, man. I'm sorry. Sorry, I think there's a vo- there, there's a voice delay. No, you continue. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So I just um, one of the interesting things about. Uh, about what you're saying, right, is that one of the things that we do think about when we think about revolutionary governments or governments that are formed in this specific manner for doing these specific things is that they are able to at least <laughs> maybe uh, move and, and enact changes that are like they're weirder, but they're also like maybe can move quicker. And one of the things that have happened uh, with with especially with this law, which FIFA has been making whiny but ultimately fruitless noises about for for almost a you know 10 plus years now uh is that the 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 Iran the government continues to say yes eventually this is going to happen so uh yes so, uh, when you think of revolutionary regimes uh they are not necessarily regressive or progressive they could be either or non uh, just what is revolutionary about them is that they go against the trend of of the society at the time, hmm. and the trend of the society in Iran at the time was at least socially very progressive. And uh, the trend of the revolution was uh, that okay, these progresses are happening so fast, and uh, secularization is happening in Iran. So. Let's reverse that. Let's go back to our Islamic orthodoxy that we have had. <clears throat> so that that was the context of the revolution. Interesting. Uh, they come to power. Uh, they come to power, and uh, they they implement a, a lot of these practices. Uh, that women, the hijab becomes compulsory for women, uh, especially at the beginning. It's not like that, and not that orthodox, uh, but not a single hair for women could be shown. It's much less now. Uh, men could not wear short sleeves. Men still cannot wear shorts in public. Uh, a lot of these uh, weird trends. So the idea behind <clears throat> the, or the, not the idea, but the reasoning behind not allowing women into stadiums has, there, there have been several uh, reasonings quote-unquote reasonings. One is that uh, uh, that men in shorts arouses women, uh, <laughs> which it's the weirdest thing on earth because if you think about it uh, from, I don't know, 200 yards, 100 yards, you cannot see anything. But if you're watching it on TV, you're, if anybody gets aroused <laughs> by men in shorts, it's more likely to happen on TV, not <laughs> that is extremely uh, good that point. That is a really good point. I mean, you just think of, you know, probably somewhere in Iran they were televising, you know, the the Juve Madrid match where, you know, Ronaldo tears his shirt off. And they just <laughs> yeah. very, very, very arousing. But Don't those top, who you are. I mean, to be fair, that's true and, and fair. But at the, the pe- but the people at the top of the Verna Bay probably couldn't see those those muscles yeah, really. Like, right, you don't really exactly. understand what you're thinking. Right, yeah, the people in the stadium, you know, I, nothing. <laughs> I have a friend, uh, a female friend here who went to a Madrid game and Ronaldo scored a hat-trick and she was re- really pissed that he didn't take off his shirt. So, yeah, it's very <laughs> good. Shit, well, maybe, so, maybe they have a point then. <laughs> That's right. yeah. I mean, they definitely but have a the, point the about thing, men wearing shorts. But there, there, there are <laughs> a couple of flaws in that. Uh, one is that I don't think any, uh, any football player in the world has that body, but saying it as a straight man. But... Uh, <laughs> But back to the original point. So that that's one of the problems that they have. That okay. So, and which is total nonsense. The second one is that okay, we don't want men and women in very close proximity, uh, sitting very close to each other, which is also weird because they go, they could go to cinema or to the movies, to theaters or other close uh, public events concerts they could go to concerts and sit next to each other but uh this is just the taboo and if you think about it uh if you're in a football game uh there are much more lights than if you're in a in the movie or 
if you're at the concert. So that also doesn't make sense. There is another one, which is <clears throat> they say um, there is a lot of cursing during football games in Iran. Yeah. A lot of cursing. It's basically if you go, if a player of so imagine how Real Madrid fans for from 2006 to 2000 uh, from 2003 to 2006 could not stop uh, waving uh, white uh, clouds. That's equivalent to cursing for uh, and they do it nonstop in stadiums and they say okay it is uh, a violation of the sanctity of. Uh, woman in the stadium and so we can uh, if men cares and women are there which again doesn't make sense because if you go on the street in tehran everybody's cursing because <laughs> so it doesn't make sense either well as yeah. you know we are extremely against cursing on this show yeah we, really we don't fucking do hate it. cursing it's, it's goddamn oh, worse no um. but <laughs> well, shay i'm really interested in one thing you said a second ago which is that you know that this isn't like legally proscribed. There's like not a statute on the book saying women may not go to soccer matches. It's more like a custom that then the police enforce. And I'm curious, like who, who then has like decision-making power for enforcing this and who would have decision-making power for changing policy and who is, you know, who is it like defending the policy? It's, it's kind of weird when there's not like a, a strict statutory regime to like, know who do you even complain at in order to try to change it? So <clears throat> that is a very good question and I can give you some answer, but not really. So there needs to be just a consensus within the regime. But uh, le let me just give you two examples of how, uh, not, so how unconventional uh, the legal system is in Iran. For one is that my father was a political prisoner. And he was a member of the Communist Party. And I'm not a communist, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he was a member of the Communist Party. And at the time when they were at the initial stages of the regime, uh, first few years, uh, the supreme leader, who's above the law, he can literally amend the constitution. So his word is above the constitution. He comes to power and says, "Okay, Maoists and Marxists are free to practice uh, in uh, politics." And my dad, uh, and oh by the way, they should participate. They should run for office. My dad runs for the parliament. Later, a few years later, he gets arrested and Marxism and Maoism are suddenly outlawed. And one of his charges he went to prison for was running for the parliament as a Marxist. Another one is that there was this political prisoner guy, mm. a young uh, student, and uh, he gets arrested for stupid charges. And he, uh, he is living in the U.S. actually right now. And he gets sentenced. So the judge tells him that, okay, I've summed up your sentence, and it's something like 150 years in prison, something like that. Okay, you're not going to survive 150 years in prison. I'm just going to give you that sentence. So it's that unconventional. Inter in interesting. Right. <clears throat> so it's, it's very arbitrary. And, yeah, and so right now the president could come out and say something, and the police could just say that I'm, we are not going to abide by that decision. And the president cannot do anything. Right. Uh, the, only, the only person who can uh, make a finite decision is the supreme leader. And if he says something, uh, it, if he just says something in a speech, that could be counted as the official law of the land. But, um, and 10 years later, something like that, the former president, who was actually a very uh, conservative figure, uh, very uh, close to the Islamist uh, wing of the society, he said that, okay, I'm going to allow women to go to stadiums. And that was a thing for a week, maybe less, until the Supreme Leader said, oh, no, that's crap. And that stopped. That just stopped it. So it's the supreme leader. If at the uh, absence, 
absent uh, the Supreme Leader's mm -hmm. uh, decision, at least publicly, uh, it's just a power struggle uh, that, okay, if, if they could pass a law to through parliamentary process to make it happen, if not, if the uh, president could have enough leverage to say, okay, stop arresting women. But it is really a chaotic uh, process. It's a so, power game. Yeah. So when, when Reuters, and I, I have this quote here, when Reuters reports that um, Rouhani, so I'm just literally quoting from Reuters, Rouhani, a, a pragmatist, has repeatedly criticized the, the ban on women going to football matches, but has been unable to get it removed because of resistance from powerful hardliners in the clerical and security establishment. The Islamic Republic has long barred Iranian women from attending male soccer matches, based at least in part on the theory that women should not wear, hear male fans swear and curse. Um... So their description of – it seems like their description, assuming that premise that Rouhani actually does want to change this, may actually be true, that even if someone powerful like him wanted to make this change, it would actually require quite a bit of politicking in a way that maybe we don't as kind of lay people understand. So uh, if you – Points. When they say Rouhani is a moderate, Rouhani has rebranded himself as a moderate. <laughs> uh, if we take him for his word at best, uh, by moderate he means that, okay, I'm going to moderately be, uh, implement Islamist policies with a smile on my face as opposed to a very beardy, ugly guy like Ahmadinejad. Being, because, but there's really not a difference between them. But even if we take him for his word that he's a little more moderate on social policy, you know, it uses the phrase security establishment. Rouhani, before becoming president, was uh, the head of the National Security Council hmm. for over 10 years. Uh, so he is part of the security establishment in Iran. Hmm. And funny thing about that, by the way, uh, he has uh, uh, proposed to uh, at least take a closer look at this issue. And... Guess where it's being discussed in Iran? National Security Council is trying to decide whether women should be allowed into the stadiums or not. <laughs> uh, you, would, you would think they have more urgent uh, stuff to think about, right. like going to war with Israel. <laughs> but no, women going to stadiums is a national security issue. So, and it really is... Uh, so just sorry, this point. It really is a national security issue for Iran because... Uh, Iran's claim to power is that uh, the regime's claim to power to power is that uh, w you fear us and we are not going to uh, mm -hmm. allow we're not going to cave to the public's demand so much because and we're going to rule by fear. So if they actually make a concession to the people that we are going to give you something that you want. It is a show of weakness, and after that, people are going to start to are going to start to demand more freedoms and more liberalization, and that's something that the regime cannot afford. So, so that's that's a great point, and I, I just want to um, kind of refocus on the actual incident itself. Um, just to quote okay. quote from no, I mean, and we'll go we'll go back to because Evan and I have a number of qu uh, questions, and I think. An uh, interesting okay. discussion about some of this other stuff later, but the the lead organizer of a group called Open Stadiums, which is a um, one of a, a couple of organizations that work on amplifying the plight of Iranian women, has said that. So the the Iranian state has said that essentially all that happened was that these girls and women were moved to a different location and, and it wasn't a big deal. But this person has said that the women who were arrested were actually held in Bozara prison, where women were are kept for quote anti-morality felonies. So even though the women and girls uh, were only officially detained, they now have this incident on their permanent records and could be taken in for more serious events uh, if something like this reoccurs. So what, what this person is, is saying is essentially that you know, and one of these, to be clear, one of the people that was uh, detained was an 11-year-old, right? So this is a, a little child and that down the line, this this kind of event could have be could be theoretically held against her. Just like, I mean, to be clear, just like uh, your your dad running as a communist for government <laughs> held against him. So, uh, first of all, the eleven year old in 
uh, any sane person's eyes is a child, but in Iran, actually, an 11-year-old uh, has reached, an 11-year-old girl has reached sexual maturity. So she's a woman, according to Islamic law. And <clears throat> so she, uh, like, if there is a court, I, if there was a court, I wouldn't think that she would be tried as a an adult. And none of these women, as far as I know, are being tried in a court anyways. But theoretically, she could be charged by, uh, by morality charges mm-hmm. since that she has reached that uh Think of it as uh, when a Jewish girl has her bat mitzvah, mm-hmm. and according to Jewish law, she is a woman. But right. obviously, in, she's not uh, looked at that way uh, by by public law. But it, she could be in Iran, anyways. So uh, the the account that I read was that these women are arrested and they're removed to Vozara jail and. There, they have their pictures, uh, their uh, mock shots uh, taken, and they are held detained. And um, immediately, there's a uh, campaign uh, starting to happen to have them released. And they are released after a couple of hours. And as soon as they're released, uh, they come back. Oh, so. Sorry, sorry. No, I, I apologize. So they are released from uh, from the stadium, from Azadi Stadium. Right. And as soon as they're released, uh, police vans come and say, no, 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 bullshit, uh, we are taking you to jail. So one of them flees, actually. Uh, everybody else is uh, removed to, uh, relocated to Vozara jail. And they are held there for a while. And some of their uh, male uh, family members come to protest or Commander uh, release, and some of those male uh, family members are detained then. And uh, eventually, I, I think it was the same night that they were released. Uh, but uh, they, uh, the government said that it, it won't, it will not be under permanent record. But apparently, it, that has been under permanent record, mm-hmm. and that's never a good thing to have a uh, have a, a file from Vozara jail because it's the Vozara jail is just for morality, uh, quote unquote Hmm. crimes. So it means that if you're arrested again for not having proper hijab, this could be a real pain in the butt, uh, for you. It is really weird. So they get, uh, eventually they get released. Uh, there are some lawyers trying to uh, uh, pursue their uh, cases. They get them released. But the outcome for these particular women is that now there's a, at least an ambiguous uh, question mm-hmm. whether they have a permanent record or not. At least uh, ambiguous, wow. if not uh, certain. So um, I think that Evan, unless you um, have more, I, I think we have some we have some interesting questions that are broader also. But I, I, I wanted to just now turn to the FIFA response, which I, I mentioned obliquely that Sepp Blatter had already talked about it. But um, so basically, what happened was that Infantino was literally at this match and was apparently uh, uh, you know told about what was going on, um, and he. You know, this is this is. Let, let me just. I'm going to read his statement um, about you know, all of this after uh, uh, after this all happened. So he was he did a press conference on VAR. I was actually trying to find the audio for this. I, I literally couldn't, but um, you know, it doesn't matter. Here's here's his quotes. Um, so uh, he received quote a reassurance from the Iranian president Hassan Rouhani that. Uh, women won't be shut out of the stadiums for much longer, but no time frame was provided by Rouhani to change the law, and Infantino gave validation of, to the policy by attending the derby between um, uh, men's teams. That's uh, just a little added commentary from our friend um, uh, Shireen. Um, so he also said, um, you know, he, this is basically what he said. He told me, Rouhani told me that in countries such as Iran, these things take a bit of time. Um, and that while he was aware of the criticism of his visit, he felt it was, quote, better to engage in a dialogue with Iranian leaders. Quote, I heard 
there were some incidents where some women were detained because they wanted to attend a football match and that there was some criticism, obviously and rightly, but there are two deals, two ways to deal with this matter. Either we criticize, we sanction, we condemn, we don't speak, and we cut relations, or we go ahead and have a discussion and try to convince the leaders of the country that they should give women access to stadiums. I went for the second option. How, 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 so, what is this? What's going on here? So, um, it, I, I need to give a general context again uh, for a second. Um, when you grow up in Iran and you go to high school, no matter where, it doesn't matter where you go, in south of Iran, center, north, where I'm from, the first question uh, your classmate is going to ask you is, are you blue or red? Meaning, are you a Law fan, a one team from of the one side of the derby, or a Persepolis fan, the other <laughs> side? So it is a huge, huge issue, especially in a country that uh, social liberties are so restricted. Right. Football is actually one of the uh, few uh, uh, refuges uh, for young people. So, and it is a part of the culture. So in, in uh, another context, uh, since 1979, uh, there have been three massive protests in Iran. One was over free speech. Uh, one was in uh, 99, one was in 2009 over uh, rigged elections. And one was in 2001 after Iran lost to Bahrain and did not qualify for 2002 World Cup. Hmm. And, and opposition TV just starts a rumor, God knows if it's true or not, that, oh, the match was rigged, the team was told to lose uh, because the regime was scared that women and men are going to take the streets and uh, uh, dance together. There is a huge, massive protest in Iran over soccer that the regime was legitimately scared. That's how much Iranians care about soccer. So, uh, I keep saying soccer, football. But, uh, so, have that in mind. And in 2006, actually, Iran has a very uh, abysmal showing at the World Cup and gets eliminated and... Uh, the president at the time, Ahmadinejad, right. uh, removes the head of the uh, federation, uh, the football federation, and Iran's uh, football is suspended. Uh, and there, there was a huge, huge, huge. The guy was already unpopular, and that was the final nail of the coffin that people were not gonna reconcile with him ever again over football. Mm-hmm. So that's how much uh, Iranians care about football. So. Yes, uh, the FIFA president is trying to make the case that, <clears throat> excuse me, that yes, engagement is better with the Iranian people. But the fact is that Iran, for the first time in the history, has qualified for the second World Cup in a row. And just the threat of, uh, of suspension of uh, uh, Iran, Iran's football, that just the threat that we're not going to let you... Ed- a serious threat that we're not going to let you play in the World Cup is going to drive Iranians crazy hmm. against the government that they're going to be so scared uh, of just the fact that we might get suspended. The people are going to lynch us publicly. <laughs> so we are going to uh, make uh, make some changes. So it, I so just so I don't agree that uh, it uh, takes a very long time of engagement because forty years is a very long time to have a, have a change. Uh, that's totally I totally agree with that's a really good point and it it actually it stands exactly we we had meant to bring up um and and I mean to be to be quite frank like that threat is like one of the things that FIFA really can do. And Evan, I think you, in your, like when we were discussing this, you rightly reminded us that FIFA are very willing, right. To involve themselves when they feel like local law may be, uh, local law may be not allowing them to make, you know, money basically. Right. So they, they, yeah. they say, we're going to go in and, and you have to change the laws of your country. If you like, for example, the classic example is right. Um, the the quote from Jerome Valk about not not selling, you know, Brazil not selling beer, and well, they have to change the law, which I'll play. Let there be beer. That is the clear message from the world's highest football authority, FIFA, to the host of the 2014 World Cup, Brazil. Beer has been banned in football stadiums here since 2003. 
an attempt to reduce violence between rival clubs. But FIFA's Secretary General Jerome Valk was adamant. It's part of the FIFA World Cup. So there will be, I'm sorry to say, and maybe I look a bit arrogant, but that's something we'll not negotiate. I mean, there will be, and there must be, as part of the, of the law, the fact that we have the right to sell beer. He spoke to reporters in Rio de Janeiro after touring stadiums across the country with former football star Ronaldo and Brazil's sports minister Aldo Rebelo. The minister has repeatedly said Brazil would meet its commitments, but he needs Congress to come through for him. The government sent them a general law based on its 12 commitments. Uh, but yeah, so Evan, do you want to like expand on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, this is maybe the most infuriating part of, of Infantino's comments is, you know, so he presents this dichotomy, right? Either we can, you know, play hardball and say, if you don't make changes, then there's going to be repercussions or we can go in there and have, you know, what he calls a dialogue and try to work it out. And like you, like you kind of previewed that is totally not FIFA's uh, approach when it comes to anything that makes them money, right? So when it comes to selling beer in stadiums at the World Cup, when it comes to uh, changing laws with respect to tax, you know, tax laws, liabilities, everything else that they require um, host countries and host cities for the World Cup and other tournaments to do, you know, these these are not like, oh, we'll go have a dialogue with you about you know, what's best for Chicago. It's no, if you don't make these changes, you're not going to be participating in this tournament. You're not going to host this tournament. You're not going to play like, you know, that they, it, it is much more clear and straightforward. But when there's no money on the line or when the or more maybe more accurately, when the, the you know, the profit motive cuts the other way. Um, you know, suddenly now it's time for, you know, for private dialogue that also you know, the, the the second thing that's infuriating about Infantino's comment to me is, you know, the, this, the route that he says he wants to do, well, that all happens privately. It all happens quietly. There's no measure for success. There's no benchmarks. There's, you know, it, it's completely opaque. So he can say he's having dialogues all day long and we have no idea what's happening or if anything's happening. There's no way to measure it. Right. Exactly. Um, so we... I think that one one thing that I did want to kind of focus on also, Shay, if you're interested in talking about this, but one of the one of the things that we see a lot um, in this country, especially right now, is that people use the kind of uh, 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 the the really terrible actions, right? These these un, unacceptable fascistic uh, repressive actions of the Iranian government to kind of push a very anti, you know, xenophobic, Islamic, uh, anti-Islam narrative, basically, um, you know, that, that we've seen a lot in, in, especially in this country over the last like year or so. And I'm just interested in your, like, like your understanding of maybe how do we go about like kind of threading this needle where we, we correctly and appropriately criticize regimes for acting in uh, fascist, <laughs> right, like repressive, awful ways, but also don't give fire and don't give fuel to the, you know, homegrown, you know, anti-Islamic racists who would use any criticism of any uh, uh, regime in the Middle East to uh, to say how bad Islam is. Like, how do you how do you think we should go about um, like threading that 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 needle, basically? Okay. So uh, it's a very difficult question. It's, you know, the only way you can do that is to say, when you're speaking, to say that we as a country, uh, I as a leader of this country, uh, really, really, really hate uh, the government of Iran or whatever, North Korea, and what pains me is, uh, well, what, how it's against United States national interests, how they're uh, behaving, and two, how these noble people of the country of X or Y are being treated by this monstrous government. So uh, the interest of the American people and the Iranian people or the North Korean people or you name it, or Egyptian people are aligned to have better leaders and we want that for ourselves and for the people of Iran who are noble and decent and we love them uh, although that's giving us too much credit but <laughs> no. that's the way, that, 
that's that's the way to approach. But it's actually something interesting. I, I mean, yes, uh, some of the rhetoric of are harmful to Middle Easterners inside the United States or for for that matter in Europe too. But in uh, last year, in September or October, Thomas Erbring, who's uh, a chief correspondent of New York Times in Iran, had a piece that. Trump's uh, tough rhetoric on Iran uh, has rallied the people behind the regime. In December, massive protests. Hundreds of thousands of people uh, are pouring into the streets uh, demanding regime change. And President Trump uh, had just a tweet, because that's how, I guess, we make policy nowadays, uh, that... Oh Normal yeah, the, by the way, I support I know. I support the Iranian people and I uh, I hate the regime and I support Iranian people's uh, quest for uh, for freedom. And uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley gives a speech and at the time uh, I was talking to my family and friends in Iran and if you had a presidential election in Iran, Trump and Nikki Haley would go to the runoff uh, by <laughs> by a great margin. So inside Iran, uh, people actually, yes, the Iranians are very egotistical people and they love being uh, talked about how great their history is, our history is, but <laughs> at the end of the day, a, they don't care what the rhetoric of, of a leader in the West is as long as you, uh, as long as that leader says, Oh, I'm with you guys for uh, uh, in your quest for freedom against this barbaric regime. Right. So I'm 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 wondering less about like, um, and maybe I'm I, it's the wrong thing that I'm focusing on, but I'm I'm wondering less about like how our rhetoric from our country you know, resonates with the people of Iran and more. And like I know that. Um, is more of like what you're what you're interested in policy wise, which I think is extremely interesting, but it's not not exactly what I was asking. Um, yeah. And it's more about like in in our country in the kind of popular culture, right? And the, which we are uh, admittedly sort of a part of doing podcasts and talking about you know stuff, whatever. Uh, there is like this dynamic to that that basically from from a number of like quite you know disingenuous and 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 bad sources not to talk not to not to talk about yes. you know the Iranian people but to talk about how um is you know the Iranian government show like and and the excesses and the and the fascisticness of the <laughs> fascist the you know, Iranian government is instead of being about a, a political system is really a, um just shows that all of Islam is bad uh everyone who is Islamic and who is a Muslim in the United States uh, is is our enemy and all of that. And I just, what I, I think the question I was asking is how do we combat th that narrative, that rhetoric in this country uh, when we, buy, even though we're also like saying, yeah, we need to be able to criticize these, these absolutely terrible, shitty fascist governments. So, uh, so what, strictly speaking in context of Iran, uh, I think the best way is to make the point that, listen, the Islamic Republic is an anomaly uh, in the history of Iran. It's not a, uh, a natural outcome. This is, this is an anomaly, mm -hmm. uh, not a regularity. Uh, but in the broader context of the Middle East and Islam and uh, Muslims, uh, well, first of all, I think we need to make a clear point that we really don't want one billion enemies. Right. Uh, <laughs> like, we need to make that point clear <laughs> because uh, not all Muslims are, vast majority of Muslims are not the enemies of the American people or the West. But if we make them, it's going to be a big shit show. But... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Second is, <clears throat> and like framing this right, make, just to be to be clear, like framing this as a war between the West and Islam is actually like exactly what a lot of these horrible people in in the Middle East want, right? They want to view oh, absolutely this as a you know oh, a, a war between yeah. They they want to say that after all, it's 
they want to make the point that it's a tribal war and at, by the end of the day you're we have our internal internal disagreements but we are the same tribe they are not and that's a very bad i think the, what the right approach is to make the clear point that listen just like christianity uh, there are bunch of uh, denominations in islam many and some are good some are bad uh, we need to be honest with people that uh, some are very bad like the islamic state or the islamic republic in iran and most of them are very good and that's how we need to de- demonstrate right. and also I, that's a criticism that i have had uh, on muslims in the west that they also need to be very quick to and they have been actually very good since the birth of the islamic state to organize themselves to distinguish themselves and they show what good people they are uh, as opposed to the uh, the more extremist and more radical way right. because yeah. it's not by fair. the end of it's by, not fair to yeah. make them to, to to make that happen but i understand like why like as as right as a as a muslim in the united states you might say like Shoot, I need to show everybody that this is not like Islam. This is not me. Uh, th- that being said, it's of course incredibly unfair and bullshit that we would end up in a culture that would force them to do that, right? Yeah, but you, you, yes, I understand how it's not fair. But also, you know, I I was born in Iran, and you were born in the U.S. So overall, and you were born in Philly, so it's not really a, a good. <laughs> analogy but life is not fair sometimes you have to deal with the hand you have <laughs> yeah you know on the question you know of of how we you know how we try to differentiate between you know the religion and the regimes and stuff like that I, I wonder if it becomes a little bit trickier when it moves you know i know we're we're focused on iran here but i i, I couldn't help when i was thinking about how fifa was dealing with this uh, kind of a parallel issue with respect to Morocco's World Cup bid, um, which is there's been criticism of their of their bid because uh, homosexuality is illegal in Morocco. Um, and technically, the bid requirements uh, have LGBT protection, now, you know, human rights protection requirements. Now they do, right? They didn't. Yeah, now they do. They didn't before, but they currently do. So for the 2020, whatever, what are we talking about? 2026 World Cup? Uh, <laughs> You know, for the 2026 World Cup, it's a requirement, and it raises sort of a similar issue with respect to, you know, FIFA yeah. going into a local, you know, a, a local country, different culture, a Muslim culture, um, and you know, importing with it, you know, these values about, you know, uh, LGBT rights. And saying, you know, you, you know, they've they've said softly that they think this law needs to be changed in order for the bid to go forward. Um, and I wonder, Shay, if you have any thoughts on what FIFA's role is in a situation like that. You know, how how much do you think they should be pushing mm-hmm. to get Tehran to change policy on stadiums? You know, as an organization, as FIFA as an organization, how much should they be pushing to get Morocco, which is a less antagonistic regime? Right. It's harder for them to go after the regime with Morocco. It's going to be more of a cultural push. How much do you think FIFA as an organization should be held to, um, you know, to pushing for that change, given that they're considering putting a World Cup there? So I actually I'm not very fond of that uh, rule that, for example, LGBT uh, protection rights, because the, you know we need to be ha- we need to have some standards, but also we need to realize that. There is a difference between a country that's progressing and a country that's regressing. And Morocco, or for for that matter, actually Tunisia. Tunisia is uh, progressing on uh, social issues very fast. I'm not that much uh, uh, familiar with Morocco, but a country like Tunisia, which is uh, progressing really fast, we need to encourage them. We need to uh, give them encouragement to tell them that, okay, we understand that you're not perfect by any means, but you're moving into the right direction. So we are going to help you. We are going to bring the World Cup there, we, uh, which generates a lot of uh, growth for you guys. Uh, it familiar familiarizes your people with Western culture, that we, liberal culture that we want to uh, spread. And that's a good thing. And also, you 
you're doing the right thing. You're moving in the right direction. So we're going to give you some treats, uh, to use dog metaphors. Uh, but if you're Egypt, who is fastly, rapidly regressing, we're not going to be very nice to you guys. Uh, so I, th I think that we could make some accommodations like that. But mm. as for, you know, like a, we have given Qatar the uh, World Cup. <laughs> I knew Gabe. I knew Gabe was gonna love this, but <laughs> you know, if if Qatar is going to host the World Cup, I'm more than fine with Morocco. Yeah, that dude. That's and that's. It, yeah. There's a level of hypocrisy, right, with this. Where so let's be clear, Russia also has anti-homosexuality laws on its books. So oh like, yeah. Right, like sure, sure. And yeah, like, yeah, we've I already think... dealt with some of this stuff with, with the Russians, right, with the Olympics being held there, that the United States sent a delegation there where that was like, I think it was led by um, Billie Jean King, right? Like, I, I'm pretty yeah. sure. So, like, who was, like, the first one of the you know, first out lesbian um, tennis players and all this stuff and made a big statement. But, you know, they still gave the, the, the World Cup to Russia. They still gave all this stuff to Russia because ultimately it's all about the money. But I think that, Shay, you're making some interesting and, and correct points. And I, I really do. I think there's a shitload of hypocrisy and suddenly this is their, their big thing. That being said, I, I am more, I guess, willing to live with some of the FIFA hypocrisy if it means that if there's like, for example, I don't see what's wrong with like a whisper and underhanded campaign saying, look, you don't really, I mean, if you guys have a real issue with this, like fine and keep it on your books. But if you guys are ready to change this law, that might be a, a big re like part of why you might get this bid. That's actually seems to me like an un unquestionably good thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, obviously, agree. the fucking hypocrisy is absurd, right? Because like, you know, they 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 talk a big game about all this stuff, but then as soon as it's anything else, like, I mean, like, just look at, I mean, for for real, like, they they spend so much time talking about how they don't intervene in politics, and then they literally go and change, you know, require that places change their laws, like. If the United States were to win the bid, there are a lot of places that would have liked to host games that would have literally had to change state laws to allow for it. And FIFA basically said, yeah, that's what you'd have to do. Yeah, and I suppose that's kind of you know one thing that my question was getting at is, you know, it's not just – you know, how do we feel about giving a World Cup to, you know, a country that, you know, bans homosexuality? Like, how, it's not just like Gabe, you, like you and I are on the record of hating both the Russia and Qatar World Cup bids, right? You know, right. and, and it's, you know, it's not just how we feel about that. But then second is like, how do we feel about FIFA being the organization that's the advocate for these issues? Um, you know, that's that's a thing I'm not really. So, like, I feel fairly strongly that, like, the regardless of of the hypocrisy because Qatar got the World Cup bid. The Morocco um, shouldn't get a World Cup bid unless it can actually, you know, um, guarantee the safety of all the fans right. who want to come there, including gay fans. Like, I feel pretty strongly about that. But on the flip side, I have absolutely no faith or trust in FIFA being the advocate <laughs> for this type of policy because they're such a shitty organization um, and, and they're just, they're so corrupt and so hypocritical. And so it's a really tough thing. And, and that, you know, this, you know, kind of ties back to, you know, the Tehran issue, because, you know, I have a lot more faith in organization like, you know, like we we quoted from open stadiums and other people who are advocating for women in stadiums. I don't know that FIFA brings a lot extra that's good to this situation. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point, dude. <laughs> so, I mean, I Sorry, sorry, go ahead. It's like, when has involving FIFA in these discussions ever gone well? <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like, <laughs> it's and why like do we anybody has ever received a bag of money in FIFA to go for <laughs> No, no, he's exactly right, though. That's like, the exa like, what else would we expect to happen except for Infantino will go and have, like, a $1,000 steak dinner with Rouhani, and there'll be some marketing concessions, and then everyone, you know, he'll say... You know that that'll be secret, and then he'll say, "Oh yeah, you know they said that they're going to work on it." Yeah, um, in a couple of years they'll work on it as Rouhani uh, like backs up these truck full of like, the money truck cartoon sacks of gold. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so like, let me just give you one example about Iran, which is kind of funny, but 
uh, when I think it was the last election of Stepladder, and the Iranian, the previous uh, head of the federation uh, in Iran, uh, who was the head of the federation at the time. So he was telling the story that, yeah, it was a, a closed uh, ballot, and we would go behind the curtain and cast our ballot. And I went to Stepladder and said, I'm voting for you. That basically means that, yeah, I'm going to do some shady stuff, but I have your back, have my back. <laughs> oh, my God. It's really good. I love it. I love it. This is this is extremely on brand. This is extremely Let's Fix Football. Um, Shay, uh, thank you so much for coming on this show. This no was problem. really, really interesting. Can I make – Yeah, you want to make – Just two more th- points sure, man, uh, go very ahead. quickly. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, two – very good. There's a lot of leverage against Iran. For example, Iran is not a member of the copyright uh, agreement. So Iran actually pirates every single La Liga, EPL, Euro game, all of them. <laughs> and there's them on national TV. Second, actually, I, I don't think this stadium issue is going to go away anytime soon because Iranians are, for the better, for worse, and especially against Saudis. And this issue came into prominence again on a much harder Mohammed bin Salman allowed women to go to stadiums in Saudi Arabia. So Iranian with a great, great, huge sense of superiority against uh, Arab women, thinking they're much, mm. uh, much more sophisticated, much more pretty, whatever you, you say, they think they are uh, over uh, Arab women. So they had a huge, huge problem with their ego that Saudi women can now go to stadiums, and we can't. So we have to change that. So those are my final points. Interesting. Well, we'll see. Uh, and uh, of course, if there are any developments, we'll have to have you back on. But uh, again, thanks so much. That's uh, sure. Shay Katiri. Thank you so much for coming on, Evan. Um, yeah, I'll st- we'll talk soon. <laughs> We have um, Stephen Mandis possibly coming on the show to talk about a new article he wrote about the future of football. We're really excited about that. Um, and just to reminder, I'm going to play us out with some music, but then I am going to give you guys a few minutes of that uh, French Latin ASMR, dude, because it, that's real. That's not a that's fake a, thing. I just yeah, want to make sure we all know that's <laughs> happening. I am for sure going to be skipping ahead to that when I listen to this on the way to work tomorrow. Okay, because it, I wonder when Zlatan is going to publish his own Zlatan erotic. Oh, my God. That's such a good no, point. That's a really good point. A good oh, my point. God. We already have ah. some or like like sports erotica, right? We have a precedent. A night in Gronkowski. <laughs> 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 All right. So I'll talk to you both soon. Thanks, guys. Here's a story about the rules of death or glory to be learned by heart by all children of men. The hour of the morning on the day after the dawning When the sun they said would never set Finally set again Was it Cromwell or Orwell Who first led you to the stairwell Which leads only forever to kingdom come Rushed along by guiding hands Whispers of the promised land They wished you luck and handed you a gun Where are all the old dreams now? The 
battalions once so proud Lost in some old song and hanging on the old barbed wire
Je suis désolé si le focus ne marche pas très bien. Mais comme je vous l'expliquais, je tiens le téléphone à une main. Et de ce fait, euh, vu que je tremble, le téléphone est constamment en mouvement. Ce qui empêche euh, le focus. Voilà Zlatan avec Lionel Messi. C'est une photo chez son père. Donc à gauche, vous pouvez voir le père de Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Ici, je pense que ça doit être ses enfants, mais je ne suis pas sûr. Là, c'est Zlatan avec Patrick Vieira. également 